What's up, everybody, and welcome back. Welcome back to the Bridging the Gap podcast. I am back. Um, it's been a couple of weeks. I've noticed that there's a lot of infrequency of these podcasts, and I do apologize. I do end up with a lot of messages um, saying when's the next podcast, because I didn't commit to one a week this year. It's 52 podcasts. I think I'm on three, and we're on week 12. So I've got nine to catch up on somewhere. But where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> and we will find a will and a way somewhere. So today, guys, I wanted to briefly go into um, why I train like I do. I guess I get a lot of questions as to why I'm only doing two sets. Um, Is it enough to grow? Obviously, it's enough to grow because your boy done grown, right? So we don't need to ask that question anymore, guys. It's probably the most frustrating question I've ever been asked in my life. Josh, does your training really work? No, no, it doesn't, bro. I've only done it for three years and I've not grown one bit, for fuck's sake. (laughs) Um, but we can go a little bit into the mechanisms of it and the actual idea behind it because there is an idea behind it. Would you believe or would you not believe? So here we go. So first of all, uh, just to outline my training style to most people who, who or, or to the people that do not know, um, I train with a very... I, I'm, I'm always hesitant to say low volume, but it's low volume in the fucking relativity of fitness where everyone's doing four, five, six, seven sets of 10 or whatever it is. Um, so it's relatively low volume, um, but a much higher intensity. So for the sakes of this argument, we're going to talk about intensity on a scale of 10. 10 being that muscle is the key word, cannot physically move that bar anymore or cannot physically move in a safe pattern anymore. Safe also being a key word because we don't sacrifice form. Um, we don't let it slip. Anything, uh, we, I don't let it structurally slip, if that makes sense. So uh, while you may like use a little momentum every now and again for a rep to get a little bit extra you know, stimulus through there, I'm not compromising the structure of that lift. So let's take a, uh, a barbell bent over row. I may, you know, hit flex of the hip a little bit more and then extend at the hip a little bit more as I row, but I would never sacrifice my lumbar, which is your lower back. I would never let that round. So there's like little little gives and takes you can often have within a set, but as long as the structure, the structural integrity of the lift is maintained, um, you're not causing yourself any more risk of injury, um, then I'm fine with kind of letting form slip a little bit. But for the sake of argument, 10 out of 10 is where I, where I kind of, I hang around, that's where I come alive, um, and that's where I really see the rewards of what I do. Um, having lower volume, most sets, most exercises are around two sets. If we look into isolations, potentially three or four sets with with maybe like a drop set here and there to get some intensity techniques. Um, and we're just looking off those basic me- mechanisms of hypertrophy. You know, we talk about muscle damage, we talk about um, met- metabolic damage, and, and, and all these different stresses that we can essentially put the muscle through to elicit a hypertrophy response, which is essentially the muscle building response. Now we know um, pretty much from all research is now showing that intensity plays a huge role in 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 hypertrophy. Um, the further up that scale out of ten out of ten you go, the more muscle you're going to recruit, and potentially the more hypertrophy you're going to induce. Uh, most people have come to the consensus in the industry. Talking about the big dogs, um, who, who whose life it is to research. My life is never going to be to research, so please don't hate on me for not wanting to do that. Um, I just like to take other people's information, use it myself, and 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 find the best route. But most people are now saying that anywhere from a seven out of ten upwards is probably going to need to be your minimum. Um, so you wouldn't be leaving more than three 
potentially four if you're at the start of a mesocycle, which is essentially a cycle of training. We have different mesocycles within your macro cycle, macro cycle being a year, mesocycle just breaking down that year into training phases. Super simple. Um, you probably wouldn't want to go saving four reps plus in reserve. You know, so let's say, okay, I want you to do 10 reps of this weight, um, but I want you to be able to do four or five more reps after that if I want you to. You probably want to be around that. You probably want to be around four reps, three reps, you know, ideally. And, and uh, as a minimum, as a minimum, we've established intensity has to have a minimum to be able to induce that response. Uh, this is a little bit different for people who are just starting training because any any intensity above zero is going to elicit a response up to a point. That's what we call those newbie gains. But once you reach those newbie gains and you've exhausted those newbie gains, um, it's going to become increasingly harder to to get there, which is why people will often be like, oh, but it worked for me. It's like, it might have worked for you, but you're very, very young in your career. Um, for example, for me, I was a high volume warrior. I didn't I didn't come off a machine unless I'd done five sets of it. And I grew and I got strong, you know, it's just not necessarily optimal. So this isn't to say my way is all the highway, it's just to say, you know, this way is pretty optimal. There's probably a few other ways that are pretty optimal. But if you're just doing arbitrary numbers and arbitrary volume, you're really cutting yourself short there. Um, so we've established that you have to have a minimum intensity of about seven, maybe six, uh, if you're kind of younger in your in your career, and probably you'd want to work up closer towards that ten as you get through your career. Um, now, obviously, there's a caveat to working up towards that ten out of ten intensity, and that being the the fatigue that you induce. So obviously, if you're doing one set and you take it to absolute bone crunching failure, not bone crunching, <laughs> that's not a nice word, um, muscular crunching failure um that is going to have a lot more impact on your fatigue than say going to a six out of ten and that's that seems pretty straightforward right because you're not training as hard in that set which is fine so the caveat to that six out of ten is that in order to get that same stimulus that you need from that or or the same stimulus that you probably want to get from that 10 out of 10 you're probably gonna have to do a few more sets so whereas i'm only doing one or two well i'm probably doing two three and, and and very very rarely four sets to absolute failure um if you were to drop down that scale from 10 you'd probably just add on a set each time you know there's it, obviously a very very loose way to do it a lot of it's gonna depend on how well you're recovering you specifically because what you can do may be different from what i can do trust me i've trained with little natty boys who outwork me or in terms of in terms of volume like they're doing three four sets and they're training to failure and they're doing you know and i know they're training right and i can't keep up with them that's because my volume um i i, I grow off pretty low volume that should always be the goal is to grow off the least because then you can always in increase so we've established that we've now established that there's a minimum intensity we now established that the further up that intensity route you go the more impact on fatigue that's going to have so the more concentration on recovery you should have now this is where the idea that mike israel brings in about rec maximal recoverable volume maximal recoverable volume which is essentially the maximum amount of volume that you can do that you recover from and the minimal effective volume so the minimum amount that you can still get an effect from and he obviously talks about having to come down to minimal effective volume and then push up to your maximal recoverable volume and then kind of play within those boundaries um, and that makes a lot of sense, and I'm, and I'm very, very confident that if you took that route, um, it would work. Um, and obviously, what you've got to just bear in mind, the fatigue to stimulus ratio. There's no, 
there's no equation for it. There's no way you can go, okay, this amount of sets, this amount of weight, this amount of reps is going to lead to this amount of fatigue. It's going to be very, very individual. So my, my advice is always to start on the lower volume um, and then work up. Now, the reason why I choose to train towards 10 out of 10 failure versus kind of backing off and saving some reps in reserve um, is because I'm trying to recruit the most amount of motor units possible. Um, a muscle is essentially made up of motor units. It's basically just saying how much muscle you're going to recruit. If you get to 10, you're going to recruit more muscle for muscular damage than you would do at 8. That's essentially it. Um, and with that, um, I, I look to push my volume up in terms of just weight and reps. So I'll set myself a rep range, say for example, a 6 to 10, and I'll also do a, a 10 to 15, um, and I'll work up within those rep ranges. So, you know, say week one, I'll be working towards a 6 or 7 repper on that first one, and I'm going to work that same way up to 8 or 9, and then I'm going to know that I need to put my weight up. Now, strength, we know, has a direct correlation to more muscle. Um, more specifically, strength over higher rep ranges um, anywhere from 6 to 30, research is now saying that you can pretty much achieve the same amount of stimulus as going to failure at 6 as to going to failure at 30. So for me, if the, if the, if the, if the research says that you can grow off all of those rep ranges, it doesn't make sense for me to miss one of those rep ranges, you know, because it's quite hard to study these things, because it, it, it it's increasingly difficult to get very, very stable conditions, people who train the same, similar genetics, you know, similar mentality, similar intensity, it's very, very difficult. So for the, so therefore, it's very, very difficult for, for, for research to say one rep range is better than the other. And I, and I think that probably people grow off different rep ranges individually anyway. You know, like I know guys who grow off 30 reps just as well as six reps or, 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 or the opposite, you know. Um, so I just say, why would you cut yourself short, go over all of them, you know, 6 to 10, 10 to 12, 20 plus on, 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 on something else. Um, so we've now established a minimum intensity. We've now established that with intensity increasing, fatigue increases. Um, and then we also need to understand that in order to increase the size of a muscle, you need to increase the stimulus received by that muscle. So that means you need to be doing, quote unquote, more of something than the week before, you know. So if you're doing like a reps and reserves type training where you'd save, you'd, you'd be hovering on that six to seven out of ten failure, you'd of course be increasing your sets each week or you'd be increasing the reps you do. So you could do maybe three sets of six one week, four sets of eight the next week, five sets of ten the next week, and you could increase that way. Those are just arbitrary numbers. Don't take those numbers. Arbitrary numbers. Um... And we know that with failure training, because you are at that 10 out of 10 failure, you don't manipulate your intensity. You keep that as the constant. Form is also a constant. Form is always there as a constant. So that you know that you're you're either increasing the reps because you're not going to increase the sets. Because if you increase the sets and still train to failure, you're going to massively increase your fatigue ratio, which then may stop you from recovering. Now, we'll talk about how you can actually increase that on a high intensity program, but we're just going to take it bit by bit for now. And the idea essentially behind the reps and reserve training is to progressively recruit more motor units and progressively recruit more muscle because as fatigue builds over the set, you're going to need to recruit more muscle to, to do that. Now, there's no, I mean, if there is a way, I haven't heard it yet, but there's going to be no way to say that one is better than the other. In fact, most, I say this with a pinch of salt, most guys at the top of 
reps in reserve. Most guys at the top in, you know, going to all-out failure. Pretty much agree on everything. They pretty much agree on everything, you know. And, and for me, it seems that the people in reps in reserve tend to just err on the argument that you can't recover from uh, the intensity stuff. But, I mean, you can because I do. And, and everyone who I program it does. Um, but again, it's not to say that one's better than the other. It's just that something that you need to be mindful of is the recovery and the and the fatigue ratio. To be honest, you need to be you need to be very very mindful of that no matter what type of training you do. So, if we take the low intensity, uh, sorry, low low volume, high intensity type training, generally speaking, I'm going to start people on the lowest amount of volume. So it's this idea of the minimum effective volume. So the minimum amount that you need to do that's going to get a response and you're going to get progress. From there, you're going to slowly but surely add a few sets on. If we can keep the intensity as a standard at 10, if we can keep the uh, the sets, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty constant um, along with the recovery capabilities or, or, or the recovery protocols that you're putting in and everything else is a constant, as you do increase the sets, you know, for example, very, very slowly, let's say you had two sets on everything, I'd probably look to add one set onto all your isolations initially, literally one set. You'd then wait three weeks or so, you know, are you still progressing? Yes, Josh, I'm still progressing. All my sets are still going up. Fantastic. You could probably handle a little bit more volume. Okay, cool. Let's put another set in, you know. Uh, Josh, actually, this week, I found my sets pretty hard to reach, especially when I got towards the end. Oh, maybe we're teetering on a little bit too much volume. Let's take that Let's take that set we put in off, you know, and then you're going to find that sweet spot. So my, my advice is always start at your minimum effective volume. Start at the minimum that it takes to get you to grow because you can always do more. What's the point in starting high? It's too much, then coming down. You're, you're missing out on something. Start low slowly but surely add in a set here or there um, and just see and see engage your recovery recovery for me is is not only how you feel um, the soreness how your joints feel but it's also how well you progress so you know are you progressing as quickly as you were you know three four weeks ago no why is that let's work out have you added any more volume in yes oh so you're doing a little bit more volume and now your recovery your that muscle is not recovering as well as before but it's still improving you're still increasing across those three sets well that's good because now you've got three sets that you're still progressing over as opposed to two sets that you're just progressing over so we're still in a sweet spot okay let's do four sets oh now you know what the first two sets they go up those second two sets they don't so you add the volume up over those two sets all, the, all those four sets, oh, actually, volume isn't increasing that much because I'm doing too much. Cool, let's drop the set off. And it's that process that I'm taking with clients. It's that process that I'm taking with myself. I'm, I'm trying to push my boundaries, but when I'm at my boundaries, I'm coming below the boundary. You know, you want to be teetering just below that boundary of, 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 of when it gets too much. Um, and I think it's important just to just to understand those ratios, right? So just to summarize that little 15-minute rant, um, intensity has to be a minimum of six or seven out of ten if ten is you cannot move that muscle safely anymore that needs to stay pretty consistent you know the higher you work up towards that 10 the more muscle you are going to recruit that's a fact the more muscle you're going to recruit the more potential muscle damage you are going to incur in in 
in induce in cure that's not a word induce um, potentially the more hypertrophy you are going to elicit however the caveat to that is recovery capability or recovery uh, will be compromised more compromised the higher up that scale you go so in order to counteract that when you go down to the lowest the lower sessions the six or sevens you need to be doing more total volume because that total volume is at a lower intensity thus causing less damage so in order to do the same amount of damage or if not more damage than you want to do at 10 you need to do more sets to be able to accrue the same amount of volume or the same amount of damage does that make sense you can't answer me but I hope that makes sense. Um, so it really just becomes about... Uh, a, a big part of it for me is also personality. I find a lot of bodybuilders are, are, are fairly extreme people. You know, aggression, um, maybe slightly emotional. Uh, it just seems to be a sport that attracts that kind of thing. And, and, and people often use the gym as their solace, as their their temple, their place, their happy place, you know. And they like to get aggressive and they like to push their body to the limit. And some people love to absolutely push it to the limit. And I'm one of those people. I like to know that I put every single thing that I could on the table and then I beat it next week. That means I've got, in my head, in my head, I didn't, it probably doesn't mean that. It probably means I've got some central nervous system adaptation. But in my head, when I beat that number from last week, I've got more tissue on my body. And that's how I think. And I just think about that every single week. And I really, really enjoy it. However, you do get people who are maybe slightly more calculated, you know, slightly more into the numbers, slightly more reserved. Some, some people might be slightly more conservative in their training. They don't like taking those big risks. That's where you'd probably look to, you know, assign training to the person that, to, excuse me, to the personality. Um, so personality is a big part of it, you know, but 90% of my clients have that personality of they wanting to push the, push themselves, to, you know, to failure. More often the bodybuilders are, the lifestyle clients, not so much. So you just pull down the intensity, accrue a little bit more volume, and you're going to get a similar result, but you've got to go through the same processes. Are you recovering well? Can you do a few more sets? Are you actually working to that six out of 10? Which is a, a main issue for me, is that are you truly moving to seven out of 10? Because I cannot tell you the amount of times that I've been done with a set, and then someone's come up behind me and said, come on then, big boy, let's fucking go. And then I've got three more reps. That means that when I was done, that was seven out of 10 because I got three more reps and they didn't touch the bar. So to truly get to that failure and that true seven out of 10, I think it does take a lot of training. I think it does take a lot of experience. So that's something to consider. Potentially, it could be worth training, training to failure first, real failure first, so you know where seven out of 10 is, just to establish some boundaries. Um... And yeah, like so that's that's a little bit about to why I train the way I do and, and why I don't necessarily train to reps and reserve. But why reps and reserve is is still a good a good option for you to take. It's still a good option for someone to take. Um and it's not necessarily gonna be better, it's not necessarily gonna be worse. The thing that's gonna be better is the one that you can adhere to and put the most effort into. So if that's to failure, great. If that's to reps and reserve, a pussy, uh then that's you and that's fine you know i joke when i say stuff like that um because it's like there's, there's this huge debate in the industry oh you don't train hard enough you're not hardcore enough fuck that people do what they want to do you know like you can grow off both the research tells us you can grow off both there's some that says one's better than the other there's some that says the other's better than the other so it's like you know what just take, pick your poison try both 
don't be naive, don't be scared to try both, you know, it's, 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 it, we don't need to be dogmatic about these things when clearly the people at the top of the reps and reserve guys are fucking big dudes, they've grown a lot of muscle, clearly the guys who've been trained to failure are fucking big dudes, they've got a lot of muscle, right, so it, clearly they both work, it's just about which one can you do the hardest, the best uh, in that case. So that's what I want to talk about just to open up the podcast. I did put uh, a uh, a question and answer onto my Instagram, so we'll just slowly work through those right now. There's only a few. Okay, no, there isn't quite. There's quite a few, but we'll see how many we can get through. Let's do it. But just before we get into that, because you've not heard it in a while. Oh, baby. White monster coming at you. Very nice. Okay, then. So I'm just going to go through these. I'm probably going to ignore the fucking stupid questions. So sorry if it's you. In fact, I might call you out if it's a stupid question. That's a bit harsh, isn't it? Um, How should I approach training a lacking body part? Good question. So for me, a lacking body part means one thing. You can't connect to it that well. You're not, you know... You're not stimulating that muscle as efficiently as other muscles because, for whatever reason, you've got a you've got a neurological connection issue. That 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 for me that seems to be it. Maybe you've had an injury that impinges you. Maybe just genetically you're a little bit lopsided somewhere. You know something like that. For me, my right pec, and and you'll see this in all my photos if you really really look. My right pec is just not as big as my left pec. My right arm is not as good as big as my left. Um, my right delt is not because when I was younger, I went up for a dunk, hyperextended, doing it as we speak. So you can imagine me. I'm, I'm, I'm dunking. I, I, I held onto the rim. My body kept going, but my arm kept going back. I held onto the rim stupidly, felt this tear and then massive pop. Um, pr- couldn't lift my arm for about two or three weeks. I didn't go to the doctor, didn't get surgery or anything because I just knew that surgery would be the end of me. Um, I was pretty young, so I wasn't a bodybuilder then, but I knew that it'd be it'd be savage. Um, if I did get it done, and I'm pretty sure I I, I, I tore my my super my infraspinator sorry completely through with what it felt like anyway. So since then I've struggled. This is like five years ago. I've struggled to connect to my pec. Um, I can't get a pump in it as easy, um, and genuinely it's a little bit difficult. So for me, it becomes about establishing that connection again really trying to find it now it may mean that i have to slow down movements it may mean that i have to really think about what i'm doing with this arm um but also just you can play with exercise order now since i started doing my flies first um and warming up very very well through those flies um i've really really noticed um the connection come back now it's definitely not it's like it's still grown significantly in the last few years so i know that i'm getting a connection there but it's just not as grown as much as, as, as the left side. Now it's just. I'm sorry, Alexa. I'm having trouble connecting to the internet. I'm sorry, Alexa. Take a look at the help section in your Alexa. You, you're hearing this right now. I did not say that name. Who are you? That's creepy. What was it saying? Sorry for the interruption. Um. So for me, it's become about taking my time with the movements, thinking about squeezing that right pec a little bit more, and actually just driving a little bit of blood into there before I train. It really, really helps get a neurological connection to that muscle. So when I've been doing the flies, like I was saying earlier, like I've been doing the flies first, and I find I get a little bit of a pump first, I can really connect nicely. 
So I'd, I'd recommend doing the same thing for you guys. So let's say you can't connect to your lats. Try to do some pullovers first, you know. Like even if you want to do them one-handed. I'm putting my hand out right now so you can imagine. So you put your hand out onto a rope, one arm. You, you, you put it straight down like you would do with a straight arm pull down. And then you like laterally flex. So you, you, you bend in with the lat and you really just focus on that lat. You don't, need to, you don't need to be focusing on heavy weight here. You just need to be focusing on feeling the lat. Once you start to feel it. Um, you're going to have a better connection to it and then you can move on to your workout. So that would be my biggest and first recommendation would be just to kind of really drive a connection to it. You know, maybe see an osteopath to see if there's any impingements. Um, I'd recommend LJ osteopathy, 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 osteopath in King's Gym. She's amazing. She's really, really good. So I'd, I'd definitely recommend. Um, we'll leave that question there. Otherwise, we could just ramble on. Uh, here we go. Abu Diel Shirksy, can I use Clen 10 weeks out? You can do whatever the fuck you want to do. It's not for me to answer for you, mate. Uh, my daily macros, so my current daily macros are 300 protein, 750 carb, and 120 fat on training days. And then on my rest days, um, I'm at 300 protein, 400 carb, and 175 fat. So... That's roughly 5,300 on uh, training days and 4,400 on non-training days. So it's fairly hefty um, and I do lose weight really, really quickly if I drop below that 5,000 calories, which is kind of annoying because when I was in Dubai, my appetite was awful because of the, the heat. Um, the first couple of days anyway, at least, I just couldn't eat and I just I dropped like three kilos in, in like three days. Just shows how much fluid retention that I probably got from the food and how much food weighs in your digestive tract well, as, as well. So while I may sit on the, on the scales at 115 kilos, you know, three, or three kilos of that is probably food and water. So uh, true weight is 112 probably. Um, but yeah, those, those are my macros at the moment. Another question is uh, best beginner cycle combinations. Um, I wanted to pick this one because while I don't advocate the use of steroids, I don't really encourage it either because trust me, it's been a ball ache since I've started like, having to do this kind of stuff. Um, and obviously knowing what you're doing to yourself as well. It's not the nicest concept. Um, but the fact they use the word combinations, you don't need a combination to start. A simple testosterone cycle is going to be more than enough. You think probably naturally, depending on where you are on the scale, you're probably floating between 75 and 125 milligrams a week. Um, if you were to inject that um, exogenously, that would be the equivalent of your natural kind of range, depending if you're lower or higher on the scale. Um, so like, it doesn't make sense for me to throw in 500 milligrams and, and, and six times your testosterone because that just that's just a recipe for... That's just the recipe for for a bad reaction, a lot of aromatization. You know, your body's going to be like, what's all this influx of testosterone? We need to convert, 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 rather than just creeping things up ever so slowly. So, you know, maybe, maybe you're starting on 250, which is a double. So you're still doubling your natural dose. And if you're lower on the scale, you know, tripling, quadrupling, and then just adding 50 milligrams in and then adding 50 milligrams in and just allowing your body to adjust gradually. That's what kind of makes sense to me. Um... But of course, make sure you get all the blood work done and everything like that first before you just jump in there um, and do it the way I did it. <laughs> um, when are you competing next? So 2021 is going to be when I compete. Um, and 
that is it. I'm not sure when. I need to see the uh, need to see the schedule really for next year. They normally release it towards the end of the year, so I'll probably look towards the end of the year. I'm one of those guys that don't like to I don't like to plan ahead too far. I like to just focus on the now and kind of move forward accordingly. Um, Leah Frankish, how are you? I'm great, thank you for asking. Uh, could you please go over form tips for the cuffed pull down? So, if you guys can think of a straight arm pull down for your lats, uh, this is essentially a cuffed version. So you'd get yourself on a close cable stack. You'd put your your cuffs on to the highest point. You'd put your elbows through. You'd probably want to put them under, like just above your elbows towards your your shoulder. Um, because they do slip off your hands a little bit, depending on what kind of cuffs you've got. And you're going to essentially pull down with as straight arms as you can, and you're going to get to a point where it feels like heavier, and it's going to be heavier for you. That's because when the lat gets shorter and shorter, it actually gets weaker and weaker. So as the lat gets more contracted, so as you, come cl as you bring the, the weight down, closer to your body, it's going to get harder. This is when you're going to just uh, shorten the lever. So you're going to you're gonna bend at the elbow and you're almost going to row it down. So it's going to be like a 75% of the movement is going to be a straight arm pull down. And then when it gets really hard, you're going to bend at the elbow and pull in. This is just to allow a little bit more drop off and just to allow that lat to get really, really short. Um, and it's a nice way to almost, almost spot yourself through it, um, which is pretty cool. What should I be looking for in an online coach? You should be looking for someone who is going to give you um, the tools that you need, and and that the, the key word is you. Some people, aren't, like as an online coach, some people just want to be told what to do. They don't want to learn, and they want to just know. Like that's that's me with everything but but fitness. I'm like I don't want to learn it. I just want someone to do it for me. And it might be lazy of me. But I feel like I just want to spend my time in things that I'm interested in. So, for example, do you think like CEOs who are, you know, sure, some of them, but CEOs who can't have their time to think about fitness, food, whatever, they've definitely just got a chef who's cooking their meals for them and a, and a workout who's telling them what to do. So I get people like that. But also, you know, you've got to understand what you actually want in a coach. Do you want to get taught? Do you want to learn for your own clients? Do you want to learn for yourself? Are they coaching you through the process or are they telling you, like, do you want to be told or do you want to be coached? So you just got to make that clear to your coach and, and they'll change their, or they should change their style based on you. Um, and just constant com conversation, I guess. You probably want pretty free access. I wouldn't, I'm not too worried about a coach having a slow response. It'd be more about the quality of the response. Like if you're waiting like two days for a reply and the reply is like, yes, I'd be, I'd be pretty annoyed. Um, but if, if you'd ask like a load of questions or whatever. So you'd be more worried about the quality of the response rather than the quickness. Like appreciate, you know, coaches have other lives, you know. So when you message them, at like uh, trust me, I've been there. When people message you at like Friday night at like 9 p.m. And they message you again at 10 p.m. because you've not replied. It's like, mate, it's Friday night or, or it's Saturday night. Give, just, I'll just, just give me the evening. Is that right? You know, and it's difficult when you do things on your, on your, on your WhatsApp because obviously... When, if you think about what you do on WhatsApp, you just open it and reply to people, right? So you think, why is my coach not opening it and reply to it? Or maybe you go on, you see you send a message, you can see your coach is online, and then he goes offline. He's like, yeah, but he also probably has 30 other messages to do. He's maybe doing check ins, maybe he's talking to his friends, his family, you know. So I'm very time scheduled with my responses. I'll have like an hour um, periodically throughout the day where I'll sit down for probably not an hour, probably like half an hour periodically throughout the day where I'll go through my messages and I'll answer people's questions. And then if they miss that cutoff in the evening, I'm going to reply the next day, you know, 
um, and that's just the way that I've kept it. And I think as long as the coach is, is keeping that consistency throughout, I wouldn't worry. Or, you know, like I'd be wary of a coach who starts off really, really prompt and then just slowly fades away because that would be indicative of the service not being like that. But if he's always prompt, then great. Or if he's always, you know, slightly slow to reply, or maybe he does an hour, maybe, maybe he replies the next day. You know, just, just think about it and, and look at the quality of the response more than anything. Um, have you ever been fully broke financially? Uh, 100% when I was at uni, I'd live out my, my, uh, my, my, uh, what's it called? Overdraft. <laughs> easy. Um, very, very easy. Um, would I, would I ever do a post on cannabis and THC? So for those of you guys who follow me for a while, you guys know that I smoke a lot of weed. I smoke pretty much every day for the last 10 years, you know, bar a week here and there when I go on holiday. Um, I don't talk about it. I feel like here at like minute 32 in the podcast, it's all right because no one's fucking trawling through this unless you're a real hard fan. So thank you if you're listening. Um, it's still illegal in England, you know? So for me to start clickbaiting cannabis and THC and I smoke weed and I'm a body, you know, and, and I could, you could clickbait it, but one, the video will probably get banned or the post will probably get banned. And two, I don't want the police running up in my house searching me for fucking a little gram of weed that I got, you know? Not that that's ever going to happen, but people are weird. People like to do that stuff. All my videos about steroids get reported by someone, you know, so why would someone not report them about, about weed as well? So it's very, very difficult to talk about something that is actually illegal. Steroids, a little bit less. That they're illegal to take, but they're illegal to sell, so you can kind of talk about it a little bit, which is why people like JP, Tom, TM Cycles, things like that, Callum can get away with talking about it because it's actually legal. Um, so you've just got to be you've got to be very, very conscious of that. Um so yeah, um, you seem to mix up gyms a lot. Not to get OCD about machines, I always get OCD about machines, mate. Always, I hate it. Um, but I've been to these gyms that I go to a lot now. So Muscle Works in Orpeton, I've been four or five times. So I know, I know, I've pretty much done every session there. So I know the good machines. Physique Warehouse, been there for years now. Uh, my gym at home, MJ's, I've been there for years. Kings, I've been there a few times. Like the gyms I'm going to, I've been three or four or five times. So now I know that I know the the equipment and I can kind of go forward with it, which is kind of cool. Well, not cool, but nicer on the OCD. Thoughts on coronavirus. Uh, I'm pissed off that everyone's fucking taking the toilet paper because my mum, who is a teacher who leaves at like 7, 8 a.m. in the morning doesn't have time to go to the, the supermarket before, finishes at 4 p.m. She's been to the supermarket nearly every day for the past week, and there's never been toilet paper. And she's on to her last roll, and I think, what's my 64-year-old mum going to do about fucking toilet paper? Like, it's so stupid. And you've got people who have got hundreds of rolls because their penis is, is, for fuck's sake. What are you going to do if you get corona? Shit yourself. It doesn't, you don't shit yourself with corona, for fuck's sake. I'm confused. Just send something, just order it online or something. Weirdos. Um, did you read, did anyone read um, the book, well, the extract from the book? It was like a 40-year-old book and it talked about uh, a, a, a virus from Wuhan. It said Wuhan in it in 2020. It said there will be a virus in 2020. It was talking, it was talking in the now. It was like, it's 2020, it was a virus, it's called Wuhan 400. Um, and it's from a biological plant just outside Wuhan, and the only level four biological uh, chemical plant or whatever it is 
is outside Wuhan right now, which probably inspired the story. Um, but the fact that, and, and they talk about it, how it only infects people. It's a lung and respiratory disease. Crazy shit. Crazy, crazy shit. The, the book is called Eyes of Darkness. So type in Eyes of Darkness, Wuhan. Um, and it's just crazy. It's actually crazy. Uh, we're going to finish up on this question. Life's biggest lesson so far. So for me, my biggest lesson was nothing is going to come to you by doing nothing. And this seems pretty obvious, but I was very, very convinced that something would fall into my lap for a very long time and nothing ever fell into my lap. So it wasn't until I actually, and, and it wasn't even by choice that I did something. I just had to do something because I had no money. You know, I'm lucky in the fact that my parents would look after me if I needed to, if I needed them to. But that kind of when you get a little bit older, you feel a little bit guilty for that. And, and, and to be fair, I didn't stop till I was 25. I'm only 27 now. But I didn't know what I wanted to do until I'd done something and realized I didn't want to do it if that makes sense. So I, I originally I was like, oh, I want to work in a gym. I'd run, love to run a gym. I'd love to do this. And then I kind of did that and I didn't didn't really get the buzz out of it that I wanted. I'm definitely a people person and I could see myself doing that future in life, future in my life. But it's but I want it to be mine. You know, I'm very much a problem with authority. So I knew that I didn't want to work for people or, or for people that were super strict and couldn't let me be myself. Um... And then, you know, I stopped that. I packed up, went to London, worked retail. No, I didn't want to do that. No, I didn't really want to live in London like that. You know, tried a few businesses, realized I didn't want to do those. Then the Instagram picked up and I thought, this is what I want to do. And and, and that's what happened. So my biggest life lesson is just to do, you know, because if you do, you get more information than if you don't. And with that information, you can make the next decision and the next decision. So if you're in that period of life where you don't know what to do, just do, you know, what's in front of you. You know, what's vaguely attached to what you're interested in, you know. So I was like, okay, gym, I'm, I'm a bodybuilder. Went to it, didn't like it. Cool, next one. So that would be my biggest life lesson for me so far. Hope you guys enjoyed this one, guys. Um, we'll be back very, very soon. We've got podcasts to catch up on, so let's get catching up. Peace and love, everybody. Speak to you soon.